There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stocks for beginners. The lion's share of analysts are doing good, honest work and are doing the best they can. Predictive models are only as good as the people who created those models. You can't predict for a great financial crisis. You can't predict for coronavirus. You can't predict for September 11th. Any of these things, that's what makes the stock market so unpredictable and so much fun. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Wall Street analysts are paid millions of dollars a year. Their firms have the most expensive algorithms and predictive models, yet they consistently miss the mark with their predictions. What's going on, Carl? Hey, Phil. How are you? Thanks for having me back on the show. No, thank you very much for coming back on. Now, Carl Kaufman is a Forbes contributor and American Dream Investing co-founder and CEO. And if you're not following him on Twitter and LinkedIn, you're missing out on a great newsletter every day where he's um, putting his thoughts together for us in terms of what he's feeling is going on in investing. So, Carl, tell us about these analysts. Where do they come from? I'm assuming they come from the best business schools in the country. Yeah, a lot of them have six-figure MBAs. And they go to the best business schools in the world, and they go to the best banks, and they have the best predictive models that cost millions of dollars. And despite all that, they still miss the mark completely. Can you give us any examples of um, some uh, recent failures? (laughs) Yeah, one in particular is the Apple iPhone. And Back when Apple used to break out how many iPhones they would sell each quarter, I remember analysts from Bank of America and Morgan Stanley and Bernstein all would weigh in and say, well, we're cutting our estimates on how many iPhone 10s they're going to sell this quarter because we see that the Chinese demand is not going to be the same. The Chinese don't like the big phones and they have the Huawei and they go through all this these different reasons for why they're cutting targets or raising targets. And of course, Apple came out that quarter and blew away estimates. I think that in this particular case, the analysts were expecting maybe 50 million iPhones sold that quarter and Apple wound up selling 90 million. It wasn't even close. So despite being wrong so many times, they still try and make predictions. I suppose they have to do it, don't they? Yeah, that's part of their job, and that's what their clients on the buy side rely on. They will buy and sell based on an analyst's recommendation. And you know, these buy side clients are not individual investors like you or I. They're big pensions and hedge funds and institutions that are going based on these analysts' recommendations. Large institutional investors and pension funds, they kind of require this. But um, even though they've most probably seen how many times this analysis has been wrong, is that the way it works? They they just need something, even though it mightn't be the perfect way of predicting the future? Yeah, they pay good money for these reports. And 
I'm sure it's not the only criteria they use to invest in a company, but you know, when you're paying good money for something, you want to think or tell yourself that there's some credence to what the analysts are saying. So thankfully, as an individual investor, we can use this as one of our data points when we're making a, an informed decision on whether to buy or sell. The institutional investors, who knows what goes on behind the scenes, but I, I do know that they, that they rely on analysts and their buy and sell ratings on stocks and their price targets. And there's a kind of a groupthink involved in it as well, because no one wants to be the outlier. They, they all want to be using the same tools to come up with very much the same conclusions, don't they? Yeah. Do you have the uh, the game show, The Price is Right in Australia? Yep, we sure do. So you know that nobody wants to be the crazy contestant who goes there and yells out a price that's way off what everyone else is saying, right? It's always like a dollar more, $2 more just so that they kind of fall into line. It's just human nature. Unless you're really looking to make a name for yourself or a big impression, you're kind of going to fall in line with everyone else. So it's the same thing with the stock market. And it's not just analysts, it's economists as well. You see this with the jobs reports predictions. You see this with even what the Federal Reserve is saying about their inflation data. All of the Fed governors and officials are kind of all falling into line with one another. So groupthink is a human condition that it's very dangerous when it comes to the stock market. Again, that's another benefit you have as an individual investor is that you can think for yourself. You don't have to answer to anybody except maybe a spouse, but you don't have to answer to anybody about what you are doing and why, unless you're public about it like I am. And I know that a lot of brokerages will publish consensus analysis, won't they? And so you basically think, well, if all of these experts have this view on a particular company, they might be right. And um, I should possibly be informing my own investing decisions based on these things. But um, how much of a grain of salt should be added to those reports? Yeah, they're helpful just to see what other people are thinking. And you know, not to denigrate analysts completely. I mean, they do a lot of good research. They have great people on their team and they spend a lot of time and effort really digging into the numbers and the stories behind the stock. They talk to management and they try and get a good picture. So they're doing the best based on the models that they have. Yeah, they're not evil, are they? They're trying their best. (laughs) No, I mean, look, you have some shady characters as with anything. I mean, I think there was uh, a case where Citigroup was fined a certain amount, $30 million or so, almost 10 years ago for kind of giving some of their clients advance notice on some of this information. So look, I mean, it happens in any business, especially happens on Wall Street, where you have some shady characters that are not operating with integrity. But the lion's share of analysts are doing good, honest work and are doing the best they can. Predictive models are only as good as the people who created those models. You can't predict for a great financial crisis. You can't predict for coronavirus. You can't predict for September 11th, any of these things. That's what makes the stock market so unpredictable and so much fun. When you're researching, when an individual retail investor is researching a particular company, they should take in some of the the analysis that they're seeing from this sector, but um, 
do your own research? Is that the kind of thing that you're saying? Always. I think that comes with the territory. I love to read analysts' reports and try and poke holes in them and see what's the other side of the coin here. What are they missing or what are they not taking into effect? And this goes to the point of channel checks, which are a major thing that analysts use, especially with a company like Apple, where they'll go to an Apple supplier, like say Taiwan Semiconductors, they'll go and they'll interview management there. They'll find anonymous sources within the company and try and get some inside information on what's the production like of these these parts, even if it's like the screen or the chip or uh, the glass case around it. And they'll take this one data point and try to extrapolate it to the entire supply chain. And you know, Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, has complained about this in the past. And he's a supply chain guy. He said, our supply chain is so vast and intricate that just looking at one particular thing is myopic. And you really need to kind of look at the whole picture. Just one particular data point is not going to tell you that hey, we're not going to sell as many iPhones as we anticipated. That's an interesting um, observation about Tim Cook. He's a supply chain kind of guy. What does that mean? He's an expert in supply chains, is he? Yeah, he came up within the company as a supply chain expert, a logistics expert. A lot of the negative talk about him in the media over the last decade plus that he's been at the helm has been that he's not an innovation guy, that he's a supply chain guy. I don't agree with that argument at all. I think Apple has innovated their products year over year, and they haven't come out with something as astronomically innovative as the iPhone. But you look at an Apple Watch and the way that it's innovating healthcare, I think they're really continuing to be a, an insanely innovative company. That's incredible. Let's just um, take a bit of a side path here about the healthcare side of things with Apple. I have spoken to another guest about this, and it's pretty incredible what they're doing. Not so much that they're doing any research into actual healthcare products, but they're providing the infrastructure for healthcare experts to come up with um, ideas and innovations. Tell us a bit about that. Well, you think of how many data points they have access to from millions of Apple Watches that are connected, billions of iPhones that are connected. And I know they've partnered with, I think it's the American Heart Association and sleep researchers, and they've anonymized this data. They send it to these studies. There are all kinds of stories that they put in their marketing about how many lives they've saved because someone fell and the Apple Watch detected that they were falling, so they called 911. It's amazing. When my wife gave birth to my children, I noticed that every nurse and doctor in the hospital had an Apple Watch. And I always asked them how many steps they took. It was always, you know, 25 more than I would take in a normal day. And they all had their Apple Watches on. So it's incredible what they have with this network of data that they can then use to hopefully make all of our lives better. And uh, outsourcing the innovation, presumably. Yeah, outsourcing the innovation. To innovate is not just to create something new, but it's to take something and make it better, right? And one thing with Apple is that they didn't create the MP3 player, the portable MP3 player. They made the iPod, which was the best MP3 player. They didn't create the tablet. 
they made the best tablet and they kept making it better year over year. The software is better year over year. If you look at, you know, the first iOS from the first iPhone and you compare it to now, you're going to tell me that they haven't innovated the software between now and 15 years ago. So they do a great job of that and making these small acquisitions of these small companies Dark Sky being one in particular, which was a weather forecaster, an app. And if you look at your Apple weather app now, it's this beautiful app that just has every little attention to detail. And these little things just constantly improve upon what they've done in the past. And some of it's noticeable, some of it's behind the scenes, but I really admire them as a company and Tim Cook as an executive. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm just going to read a quote to you from the article that we've based this interview from, and it's from uh, Warren Buffett. (laughs) We hear a lot from Warren. Nobody buys a farm based on whether they think it's going to rain next year. They buy it because they think it's a good investment over 10 or 20 years. How does this inform your investing style? Yeah, well, to place it in the context of the article, I think Warren himself was complaining about the focus on the quarterly number of iPhone shipments there were. And he's basically saying, you're buying this stock because you don't care what's going to happen with it between now and the next three months, the next year even. If you're a a long-term investor, as opposed to say a a speculator or trader, someone who's just doing options or anything of the sort, you're in it for the long-term. He can spin a phrase better than anyone in history almost. Maybe Mark Twain does it better. But when I look at investment, for instance, I've been buying a lot of meta platforms over the last several months as it continues to go down. And my thinking behind that is the company has been so well run for so long that I just have confidence in the management that they're going to figure out whatever short-term problems they have. And I know that I'm buying the stock for a lot cheaper than I did a year ago. And if my thesis proves true, five years from now even, I'm going to be very happy with how my stock has done between now when it's trading in the 160s and five years from now. I think 10 or 20 years from now, Facebook will still be around in a different capacity than what it is. They've been able to innovate their platform insanely well. And that's my focus as a long-term investor. That's straight from the Warren Buffett school, straight from the Benjamin Graham school, where you buy and hold something. And Warren also said, you want to buy something that you would want to own in the absence of any market. So the stock market could be closed for between now and five years from now, and you'd be perfectly happy owning that stock. Because it's a business and it's still going to be generating that income. Exactly. So this is completely different 
emphasis to what analysts are required to do. Because like you said before, they've got to go through every quarter and look through all the numbers every quarter. How does that affect the way that they would be looking at companies? Well, analysts will have a short-term focus. They have to provide these reports and they have to get on the conference calls and talk to management and discuss their earnings every quarter. They have a a short-term focus of what's going to happen between now and three months from now. And then they they try and guesstimate what's going to happen for next year's earnings and the year after. So, yeah, they're taking what's happened in the past and they're trying to put it off into the present and see how exactly their earnings are going to improve or decrease. And they write their reports based on that. You know, I mean, as an individual investor, you're kind of doing the same thing as well. Some go into discounted cash flow models and other kind of value investing formulas and so on and so forth. But you are making an estimate here. Nobody knows what the future will hold. If they did, they'd be, you know, wealthier than Elon Musk. But they're taking their best stab at things based on what's happened in the past. But there's a reason that they say past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Mm. That's looking backwards, looking in the rearview mirror, isn't it? Sure. So why do they get paid so much? Well, they get paid because they supposedly do well for their clients. I mean, something must work within this system. Otherwise, it wouldn't continue, right? I mean, there's got to be some sort of efficiency here in order for this to work. So they have their estimates. They have their reports. They tell their clients you know, on the buy side to buy or sell. And their clients usually do well because of this. So I think they probably put their earnings estimates on the low side, on the conservative side, so that companies can beat it every quarter. And this way, the stock rallies and they can tell their clients, look, told you to buy it. It's even better than we anticipated. Well, it actually works that way. It's almost a manipulation. I don't want to use the word manipulation, but... um... Yeah, look, there are plenty of conspiracies out there. If you read enough message boards, if you're trolling on Reddit or the Yahoo Finance message boards or any of those, there's certainly a lot of thought that there's manipulation involved. I wouldn't go that far, although sometimes it seems like, you know, it could be a little suspect, but... It goes back to the group think. Everybody wants to fall in line. Management gives a certain guidance. Most companies' management gives a certain guidance. The analysts want to make sure it's a little bit below so that management can look good. They can get invited to speak with them. The companies then get invited to conferences, and it's one hand washes the other. So there's a bit of a benefit um, on both sides of the, uh, of the ledger then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no one wants to be the analyst that slaps a sell rating on a big company because then you kind of lose your favor with management. They don't want to talk to you. You don't get them to come to your conferences. You're going to lose a lot of money in that respect. So I think what a lot of the clients are paying for also is access and it's access to management and what they think is an inside scoop. But look, you know, if you're spending 20 or 30 minutes with a CEO or CFO, how much are you really going to glean from that? You're not getting the whole story. And you don't have the freedom to slap a sell on them anyway. 
<laughs> presumably. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to be the, the rogue jet pilot that's, uh, <laughs> that's going off against the captain's orders. So whether or not they have the freedom to do it or whether or not they just don't want to do it for political reasons, it's a strange world out there that uh, we as individual investors are not privy to. So how are you seeing markets at the moment? How are you navigating them? Well, going back to the whole concept of groupthink, it seems like everybody is pessimistic about the market these days, which it's a bear market. No one's supposed to feel good about it unless you're an expert at shorting the market. I consider myself to be a perma bull, where I always find some reason for optimism. And the good news about a long-term focus is that you look at periods like this as opportunities, wonderful opportunities, because everything is on sale. There's a great quote from an old timer. I forget exactly who, but it's like, you know, the stock market is the only business where the customers don't buy when the merchandise is on sale. So, I mean, we, we've seen great companies at 50% off. I mean, Target is 25% off in one day. We're close to the point where it seems like maximum pessimism is in the markets. The Fed has a very, very tricky road ahead of itself. I think that uh, there's going to be some more pain to come. But if you position yourself defensively enough, and I'm always positioned defensively with companies that pay out dividends so that I'm, I'm generating cash in the portfolio, collecting income that I can then use as expenses or to buy stuff in periods like now. Now is a good time, I think, to nibble. And that's what I've been doing. I've just been buying a little bit at a time, not going all in on anything because the market could very well go down another 10, 15, 20%. Who knows? There's a lot of negative sentiment out there. There are a lot of very challenging factors at play, whether it's Ukraine, inflation, COVID, anything. You know, One of these things by itself is a fairly significant challenge, all three of them at once. It's tough to be very positive about the next week, three months, so on and so forth. But a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, I always quote Peter Malouk, who's the CEO of Creative Planning. History has shown that a bull market has followed every bear market. So never bet against the stock market in the long term is basically what I'm saying. Okay, Carl. So tell us more about American Dream Investing, your podcasts and your newsletters. Sure. American Dream Investing is something I, I founded with my late father, and it was based on the trades that he was making within his own portfolio. So since he's passed, I've taken over the reins of the portfolio. And we send out text message and email alerts whenever I make a trade within my own portfolio. I have skin in the game. I'm kind of revealing what's inside the portfolio to members and how I'm trading and why I'm trading, the exact stocks, how much I'm buying of each one. And members can then use that to make their own decisions about the market, whether they want to buy the same stocks or use that to find a new idea. So that's one aspect. I wrote a book last year called The Ultimate Profit Playbook, which is kind of like a step-by-step -step workbook that investors can use to analyze a stock using fundamental analysis, a lot of my dad's strategies, a lot of my strategies, some of Peter Lynch and Warren Buffett and a lot of the great investors of the time. It's basically what the process I take 
to find a good investment and to what I would research if I wanted to add it to my portfolio. And I wrote that last year. That's Ultimate Profit Playbook. It's available on Amazon or ultimateprofitplaybook.com. And uh, I'm approaching episode number 50 of my Morning Market Minute podcast, where I talk about the market each day, what I think is happening and why, some strategies, some great quotes, some humor. I try and make things informative and entertaining for investors. And I'm writing on Twitter and LinkedIn every day. I know the content's great. I'm, I'm really enjoying reading your writings every day. Yeah, thanks. I'm just trying to uh, enlighten as many people as possible with a unique spin on the markets. So how do people find you on Twitter? What's your handle? My handle is Carl Kaufman ADI, American Dream Investing. Or you could just search for me on LinkedIn or look for Carl Kaufman Forbes. I should find it also. Carl Kaufman, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Phil. It's been a pleasure. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.